0: So, I don't know whether you have your parcel in front of you, but one of the, I think, the coolest parts about working at OnePassword is is Secret Santa. Yeah. And the fact that we are a remote company. So, everybody is located all around the world. In previous years, I had someone who lived next to the Pez factory. And so, (gasps) sent me a load of like random different Pez that I've never seen in my life and never will again. Yeah. And in front of me, I have a box with Cyrillic Russian letters on. And now we only have one person in Russia, so I'm assuming it's it's him. <laughs> so that that's not very secretive on on behalf of Santa. I mean, Secret Santa is tomorrow, but I am itching to open this box.
1: Well, listen, Matt don't don't let me stop you because. I always open my Secret Santa package as soon as it arrives every year.
0: I'm very bad about it. Do you then pretend to be excited on the call? No. Or are you just, you completely open and just said, I opened this.
1: I, I already opened this and it was awesome.
0: Yeah. So so for context, we have a call. It's I would say it's the one video call that we have all year. Correct. <laughs> you have, this is, I think, the second time that I've seen you uh, this year. Uh, as you've just turned your video on.
1: Yeah, I'm wearing my Secret Santa present. That looks like a a Tie Fighter bow tie. That is, and it's made of Lego. It is a Lego bow tie fighter, and it's amazing. That's, that is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. I can't wait to get gussied up and wear this around town.
0: With the term gussied, are you wearing a gusset for that?
1: I don't know what a gusset is, so probably not. Uh, just, Just take two seconds and just Google gusset. Go ahead and Google gusset. A gusset, a piece of material sewn into a garment to strengthen or enlarge a part of it, such as the collar of a shirt or the crotch of an undergarment. Uh,
0: so are you wearing a gusset to enlarge the crotch of your undergarment? I'm I'm
1: really not. No.
0: You're not getting that gussied up.
1: No, 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 no. I have a separate cod piece that I wear, but it doesn't it's it's not a modification to my existing garment.
0: Right. It's just a separate piece.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. Doesn't everyone have a sep- a cod piece that they wear for the holidays?
0: Oh, in England, absolutely.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah. So, as as part of this secret Santa, I I want to do something that is going to be frowned upon by some people in the kind of founding circle of, of 1Password. Founding circle makes us sound like a cult, but I, I didn't want to say like management team or anything like really businessy. <laughs> but so like, I'm going to say founding circle.
1: Oh, all right, yeah.
0: I'm going to send something out to someone, right? We, we try not to do this because we get so many requests to send out like, oh my God, can you send me a T-shirt? And then we're like... I'm sorry, we we just, you know, we can spend a million pounds on shipping if we just agree to send 10 people t-shirts, I swear. Yeah. But I am going to send something out to someone. And what you have to do is you have to tweet with the hashtag ask1password. But you have to include, and you have to be the first person to do this, you have to include the password that I've just generated. Oh, not that one. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, come on! That probably was an awesome one. Our password, our wordless password generator, comes up with some great things. Placenta. You can <laughs> No.
0: <laughs> okay, so you you have to uh, tweet me using the ask one password hashtag, and it's the first person that that tweets the phrase Jim Carner pianist lion fallacy.
1: No, you can't. Because I don't know what that first word was. Gymkhana. What is that? This is like when you're trying to tell me about Trafalgar Square and I I didn't know what you were saying. What is a Gymkhana?
0: <laughs> don't say it in my accent.
1: I'm not. I'm...
0: Gymkhana is a a, a motorsport where what? they race cars around sideways.
1: Please generate a new password with words in it that people can actually understand <laughs> regardless of accent.
0: <laughs> if I press a button and a word placenta comes up, something's got to be wrong right so if you tweet me with the uh hashtag ask one password and you include the words gumdrop venture fly engineer
1: that's that's real good yeah okay. i generated that one fresh yeah, no, that was a good one one more time what is it it's, it's gumdrop gumdrop venture fly engineer gumdrop venture fly engineer <laughs>
0: Okay, so if you tweet me that secret password that I've just read out on the uh, on the podcast, uh, so it's not so secret, then uh, yeah, ask one password hashtag, uh, and then include that, and uh, I will DM the first person and mail them something, including some stickers and some other stuff, maybe. <laughs> okay, so back to Watchtower Weekly: former rave kingpin back in jail for bizarre bank heist is is. A, a perfect headline, I think.
1: Oh, and they've got the word pilfer in here. A former acid house rave kingpin has been sentenced to 20 months for using a bizarre home built machine to pilfer 500,000 pounds from banking customers. Look at the crazy machine. Is that a car battery? <laughs> no, it's not. I honestly don't know. It's got a calculator.
0: So in the UK, they send you those and basically they're like uh, 2FA devices. Whoa. So you put your card in, you put your PIN number in, and then something about the time and your PIN happens and then it gives you a number.
1: This thing looks like something that a homeless person would use in San Francisco to play music for street cash.
0: (laughs) It looks like something that if I was going to steal a lot of money from someone... Uh, And also I came back in time and (laughs) also I was called the acid house rave kingpin. And I'd taken numerous amounts of mind altering drugs. This is the machine that I would build.
1: (sighs) This looks, yeah, no, let's go with the time travel thing. This looks like you, you got sent back in time and were trapped there and had to cobble together a time machine to get home. That's what you'd build. When
0: he rings up customers, apparently this kind of changes his voice and makes him sound like the customer. Like he can fix some twiddle some bits and, you know... What? Change some buttons and, and it, it changes his voice to uh, the age and gender uh, of, of the customer. And I also feel like he although completely unnecessary, will attach some of this ca- these cables to his body. That, that, that's my visual. <laughs> anyway, so th- this is the second time that this guy's in- been in jail. So the first time he used a KVM, which is a keyboard video mouse, uh, which is like a hardware device that connects a keyboard video display and mouse to like multiple computers. So he stole, uh, I think it was like 1.5 million. Wow. Uh, then he got out after like a few years, like he spent several years in jail, then he goes and and, and does this and and steals more money again from, from banking customers. <sighs> basically in the 90s, he was a, an acid house DJ uh, and would basically, you know, set up these gigs. And so what this is, is something that can loop the bank's voice back to them. So the, the bit at the back is like a guitar looper. So you play a thing and then it loops it back to you the thing out the front are, are music speakers and then there's some auxiliary cables connecting the two and then that little calculator thing is a is a card reader it's uh, pretty crazy i love everything about this uh, i mean apart from the fact that he stole lots of money
1: well of course they've probably got it back right the, the bank is insured for this Oh, this I'm kind su- of thing. insured yeah and everything else uh no st- stealing's bad uh, stay in school kids but like listen this thing is awesome. I don't care who you are. It's it's
0: very awesome. He was
1: dedicated. He didn't
0: just like. Yeah, I, I feel like as uh, evil geniuses go, uh, he he's definitely kind of on the genius scale. Um, but at the same time, he he does look like the the mind altering drugs that obviously gave him the ability to build these time machine <laughs> devices that also steal money from people's <laughs> banks. Oh uh, my god! At the same time it does look like it's taken its toll on his body. Yeah. We have an, a, another interesting news article. It's, it's been, in, you know, covered by major technological outlets. And this is the thing of... I, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's
1: uh, YouTube name. <laughs> oh, Matt. It's PewDiePie. Okay. PewDiePie. And I never thought that we'd actually say that name on the podcast. Is he... Is, is he bad? Is he one of the bad ones? I don't know who's bad. Anymore. No, I don't think he's one of the bad ones. Uh, God, I I I understand how old I just sounded saying that. I don't know if this PewDiePie is one of the bad YouTubers. Uh, he has, at the time of this recording, seventy-seven and a half million subscribers to his channel. Is that depressing? I feel like that's a bit depressing. What does What does he do? So first of all, I need you to stop like, saying things about him that could be construed as offensive because he has an army at his disposal and they could DDoS us at any given point. <laughs> I must
0: uh, say in advance, I don't know anything about this guy apart from uh, his his people, I don't know, f- disciples, I don't know, uh, have <laughs> some printers, which I think is, is fairly hilarious. Yeah. I mean, not not for the people who have have, the, have their printers hacked and and have no idea what this is. But then if you have no idea what this is or how this has happened, you probably shouldn't connect your printer to the internet. This is true.
1: We can sort of sidestep the fact that a popular YouTube celebrity has mobilized... His army to take over a bunch of printers, and just talk about the fact that there's a bunch of printers out there that have had uh, some some exploits highlighted uh, as a result of these hijinks.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the most dangerous part of this is that the Dynamo labels uh, were were amongst the vulnerable, which you can run up a bill there. Like they're expensive labels. The main advice here is to to carry out you know regular audits of what actually needs to be connected to the internet, uh, and then you know. Make sure your printer is up to date. It's standard stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I question everything that needs to be connected to the internet, really.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: There's only so much you can do by hacking someone's light bulbs, right? But, you know, do they need to be connected to the internet? <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. So we, we've got a great guest this week. Oh my week. God, this was my favorite. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. My favorite guest. It's Jenny Radcliffe. And she is just about the coolest person you could ever talk to like she is so freaking cool i just i had a ball with this interview
0: so before i asked her on i didn't really understand too much about kind of what she does and i I didn't realize it was so so cool it was it's such like you know james bond stuff oh yeah and and i realized after this she's actually got her like a, a tv show that she's involved with where she kind of hunts down people they like they like drop people in the middle of a city somewhere, and then like they have all their social media open and stuff, and then she finds them with that.
1: That sounds incredible.
0: Yeah, I, I will add it in the show notes for anybody who wants to watch and is also British because <laughs> it's on uh, Channel
1: 4. Oh gosh, that's awesome! So, anyway, we'll stick that interview in here and uh, enjoy. It's a good one. So, today we have the wonderful Jenny Radcliffe on. Uh, Jenny, welcome. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast.
2: It's a pleasure. A pleasure to be here.
1: So Jenny, can you give people sort of the elevator history of yourself? Where you come from? What do you do? What? Uh, why are you on the show today? A
2: lot of people would know my job title is social engineer. Um, so I'm a security consultant specializing in social engineering, which is really a non-technical type of hack. Um, not for a lot of social engineers. So some social engineers are technical hackers as well. But I specialize in psychology. Uh, in manipulating people for, for the good side, of course. You know, I, I, it's not like I do it just for fun. I do it to test security systems and identify uh, vulnerabilities and then educate people as to how we did it so the bad guys can't do it. So that's the elevator speech. And I guess the, my handle is People Hacker because that's what I do. I hack people.
1: I think that you are going to be one of my favorite guests because this is so fascinating to me. I just have so many questions. I'm going to dive right in. Give us a little bit more detail about like what people hacking is like, let's say that a company hires you on and says, we, we want you to sort of test our defenses as it were, what, What form does that take? What exactly do you do? So
2: I I guess, you know, most people are aware, um, certainly in security are aware of the way that um, we would hire people to test our technical capabilities. Um, From my point of view, it's the exact same thing. What we're looking for is all the vulnerabilities in a workforce, in the staff of a company, within the organization. Um, And that would be from cultural perspective. So what's the company like? You know, do they punish people? Do they blame people if things go wrong? How do they celebrate? Are they the type of company that has um, a lot of team building or are they very conservative? Maybe don't do that so much down to team level and then to individual level. And what I'd be looking to do would be to do that research, get a picture of the structure, the hierarchy within the organization um, and the people within it. And then look at ways that we could use those weaknesses, use those profiles of people as a stepping stone into the organization if we were a criminal. So we basically replicate um, a criminal attack on a business, but we use minimal or no tech. So I'm using uh, people's personality traits, people's likes and dislikes, um, hopes, wants, fears, and dreams uh, to, to sort of replicate what could be done If we were malicious, it's a very persistent type of attack vector. But we build those profiles up using social media, um, and then it might be, you know, we make contact in some way—so over the phone, emails, or or even in person. That's the difference between us and, say, a a, a normal white hat hat hacker. Wow.
1: Okay. So when you're sort of picking your attack vector, as it were, in terms of like the people, is it like? it's just like a cheetah going for the weakest member of the herd. Like what's, what, how do you go about choosing who you're going to try and gain access to an organization through?
2: So that's a really good question because sometimes the client will give us people, they'll say, you know, we want you to try and take the, Uh, the CFO's laptop. But if we don't have that direction, what I typically do would be look to narrow down our search um, of a company's staff to, you know, a couple of dozen people. So maybe 20 people. And then look amongst those for people who typically we'd look for someone with a lot of access. So a very senior person, um, C-suite or higher, any gatekeepers. So people on reception, uh, you know, IT kind of uh, admin. So someone with the, the keys to the kingdom, the access to a lot of information. And then we'd also look for, you know, two or three people who were very chatty on social media, people who were easy to manipulate. So <laughs> so we're looking for people who, you know, we can push a little bit, apply pressure, or, or really a lot of the time not even have to do that. You know, people who just reveal that they've had a difficult day or their boss has a, um, a pain in the neck or whatever it is. And we look to narrow that down to about six individuals, and then we'll use those six to construct the the attack.
1: Gosh, I st- I, like every every question you answer, it's like branching paths. I have more questions. Um, okay, when you approach someone, will you like? Try and find out if they go to a bar after work and like sidle up next to them at the bar and engage them in the conversation there. Like, is there anything that's sort of out of bounds here?
2: No, not not really. I mean, obviously, there are some things that are out of bounds, but the crew that I put together. So I tend to work in a team, sometimes on my own, but very often in a team. And um, what we'll look to do, certainly social interaction wouldn't be out of bounds. We, we, we would look at the physical site and um, certainly look at any social gatherings you know so do people go to a certain bar absolutely we'd look at that anywhere where alcohol is is good to get people talking and and you know it doesn't need to be to us it's just to each other and just to listen in but very often um we don't actually even have to really try very hard people tell you everything you know it's kind of like if you get into a cab or you go to the barber right you go to the hairdresser and you don't know them they don't know who you work with they have minimal interest in what you do so you just unload everything onto it. And we would initiate that type of conversation after surveilling the site and looking at the what we call you know patterns of life. What you know, what do people do? What are the commute routes in? do um, people take the bus, the you know, the tube, the underground. Um, do they go to certain places so it's kind of like we look at it like an onion like the classic layered structure of an attack you know what's on the perimeter and then all the way in but I think what we do differently in social engineering is we look outwards as well so where does it spread to because what happens in a a criminal attack is that everyone within a company is a a node on the network into the organisation and therefore everyone who knows them is a node on the network into the organisation so it might be that you have to take quite a you know, an involved route to get to the company. But the type of jobs we take uh, tend to be clients who absolutely have that fear. It's not opportunistic threats that they're dealing with. They're dealing with funded, resourced, pre-planned attacks.
1: Wow. Do you just feel like a complete badass whenever you're doing this? Because it sounds just so cool. You've got a team, you've got a crew, you're going to go break into a place. It sounds amazing.
2: <laughs> it's so funny because a lot of the time you don't want to be caught cool because you want to prove that you can do it and that, you, you know, like you say, that you can, you can crack anywhere. But then there's a part of you that really wants to be stopped because we know that what we're replicating could be extremely damaging financially, psychologically to people, that the people who do this for real are very serious. So... Yes, it absolutely is. It's it's a heap of fun. It's very frightening when you can be in the middle of it. Um, Sometimes it's just nerves. Sometimes it's actually terrifying. You know, I've got lots of sort of jobs where we've had a very small time frame to get to a certain area, to get to a target. So, uh, yes, when we put off, you do feel uh, pleased and we do have uh, theme tunes and things per job. That we play um, as we leave the site, if we manage to do it, and we, you know, and all of that's very cool. But but you know, half of you, we're in the business to protect people, so if we take it seriously, and it's kind of the day job. So it sounds sort of cooler than it is in some ways, I think.
0: <laughs> what's uh, what's been your favourite project that you can uh, that you can actually tell us about?
2: I suppose there's no there's no. Clear favorite. There's been lots that stands out for different reasons. Plenty goes wrong on jobs. There was a time I had to carry a cat out and a, and a rucksack, and because I found this cat in this office, and I, I'd done the job, but it was by the window, and I thought it might jump out and die, and it was a rainy night. It's a long story. So, so you know, <laughs> and then I got stopped with the cat in the rucksack on the way down the stairs, and you know, clearly and obviously, I had an animal in a bag. <laughs> So so you know so that wasn't a favorite but it's one that stands out
0: <laughs> amazing The uh, the thing that fascinates me about this is how like non technical the the methods are like how did you come to like accrue these these tactics that you're using
2: Because I'm not technical <laughs> <laughs> because I never was technical because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of older than a lot of people in the business. And it wasn't as if I had real, I wasn't a techie kid or anything. And, and I hadn't a real aptitude or way of learning it, you know, stuff you could do at college and things now. But back then it wasn't really there. And so what I had to do was get really, really good with people so that if that's all you've got to go on. So if you can't spoof a pass, you need to be able to pick a pocket. Right. If you can't technically access the alarm system, you need to be able to persuade someone to switch the alarm off. And I just had to get really good at that because I was so useless at everything else. As so that's why it's entirely non-technical. And, and And what happens is it actually works. It's very advantageous in the end. You know,
1: as a parent. I can't help but think as I'm hearing all this, were you just completely out of control as a
2: child?
1: <laughs> like, were you just constantly pulling the wool over your parents' eyes and getting away with things?
2: Well, like, I mean, the thing is, I got away with all of this. Um, <laughs> I, I, no, I was a real model student. I was always, uh, homework always in on time, always at school, studied really hard. I mean, I just was not a complete delinquent. And I never see myself as being anyone... Other than someone who's just doing what they're good at, and and you know, I'm just feel very fortunate that that what I can do really well is now acknowledged as a, as a real career and not a criminal enterprise.
0: <laughs> I, I think everybody else is thankful as well that you're doing this uh, on the right side rather than uh, you know forming a criminal enterprise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's hope so.
0: As a as a company, what's the best way, kind of, not only to. Educate employees, but like management too. Like where, where do you start to, to kind of combat these te- techniques?
2: So, you know, it's so hard really because it, it's got to be constant and it's got to be drip fed. Um, but but what we've forgotten in all the technical stuff that is absolutely necessary is to, to warn people about just good old-fashioned cons and scams. And there's a lot more of that happening now, certainly in the UK, but we need to Just make people very aware that, you know, in in this cyber age that we live in, the people are still uh, seen as a viable target by the bad guys and that you're seen as the people, you know, all of us are and that we're all vulnerable to it. And, And so it's constantly reminding people of that. And it's a good place to start an awareness really, because I think people can identify quite well with the idea of you know a, a con artist as, as someone scamming them on the phone, kind of maybe better than some of the bigger viruses and attacks that that seem very technical and 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 analogous I suppose. and then for management. And leadership on at a line management level you need to know your staff so really it all comes down to people you need to know them because you need to know when they're afraid or when they're behaving in a way that they you know they don't normally behave in so just like any technical solution we're looking for anomalies but these are anomalies in behaviour and if staff feel that it's a safe you know it's a safe environment to report when they think they've been conned or when they actually have been conned and that the business is not going to kind of blame them for that but use it as a measure use it as a way of preventing future attacks um, then you're a safer business than the next business and really you know what you're looking to be is as hard a target as you can manage to either slow them down or spot them more easily and and that's the thing people always say to me they say well you know if someone's got that level of organization and skills and determination and they're the bad guys they'll get past." well yeah maybe that's true but we can slow them down um, and we can spot it more easily through a combination of good technical solutions and basics in place, as well as more technical solutions um, for the staff. And then by knowing our people and appreciating them properly. And that really does, you know, make you a harder target than the company, you know, two blocks down.
0: That is the reason why I always both lock my car and park it next to a more expensive car. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. <laughs> it's so true.
0: Okay, cool. So that's that's uh, all the kind of normal questions that we had. Rue, did you have any
1: uh, additional ones that you wanted to add? No, no, I'm good. This has been this has been so great, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks very much. Oh,
2: thank you. I'm glad that you asked me. I had a great time.
0: So, Rue, we have a question from a listener. We seem to do like one of these a week, which I'm I'm kind of enjoying. But this one came at just about the right time. Uh, Christoph asked, now that 1Password is available as a platform, have you ever or would you consider doing an external security audit? So we, we've actually done a few of these and I'll include a, a link into the uh, show notes of the few that we've done. We love doing them. They, they cost a fair amount of money, but they're really kind of eye-opening to do because, you know, it means that a lot of these smaller bugs get picked up and, you know, our, our bug bounty helps with that as well. But one of the most recent ones that we've had, and, and uh, we'll include this in the show notes as well, although it's not on the uh, support site just yet. But the comment that came back from, from one of our security consulting companies that did an external security audit said, the security controls observed in the 1Password application were found to be substantial and unusually impressive. I think that's both like amazing and kind of scary that the whole industry isn't up at this level. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, but it, it does make me feel really good. Like that's that is about the highest phrase I think that you could you could probably get from a from a, an external security audit. What I love about
0: this phrase is you can tell the frustration that came out of that because <laughs> they were trying to find things like we, we are paying this company uh, to to go out and spend time and find things that are problems. Yeah. Right. So when a when a bucket has a lot of holes in it's not hard to find the holes, and you can kind of you know hold it up and exclaim that "Hey, look, I found some but when you don't you know and you need to find every little thing like it's it's frustrating to say like you know you come back and it's like i i actually yeah, sorry I didn't you know unusually impressive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I love that we have, that we do these periodically. As you mentioned, they're not cheap, but that's coupled with our bug bounty program, which we've talked about before, where we have some goals that we have set up for white hat hackers to try and obtain against the 1Password service. Uh, to sort of, we got people beating on this thing to make sure that, that it's safe for everyone. That's
0: right. So uh, yeah, w- with that, I think uh, we can leave it for people to to, to read and, and go through these, uh, I think we've got three security audits on there. You know, have fun. If you have any questions, again, just use the uh, ask1password hashtag, or uh, if you'd rather it not be read out, just tweet 1Password. So Matt, we have a place name. We do.
1: Do you know how this one's pronounced? Because I don't. I did not field this one. Oh, you didn't. I sure didn't.
0: Okay. I mean, we can both have a go at this then, because we both have no idea how it is oh, pronounced. Oh,
1: man. All right. Let's see if we can find a pronunciation for this thing on. on
0: I, I I found one online. Oh, you did. But I don't want to hit play because then we wouldn't both be new. Oh, all right.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to go first. So this is up in uh, this is Ontario, Canada, uh, and this is uh, Penetanguishene. Is what this is? Hang on,
0: say that again. What?
1: It's the it's it's ye old town of oh Okay. I think I nailed it. I really do this time. I think that that's it. It's it's pen, pen, Penetanguishene.
0: I'd go Pentanguishine. That is quite an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It doesn't sound Canadian.
1: I'm not sure what it sounds like. Penetanguishene, huh? Well, all right. So you've got the you've got the pronunciation there. Do you want to? Uh, Drop me a link because I'll listen to it as well. Yeah, it is is pen and tanguishing. I nailed it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Matt, this is our new, uh, this is now the season finale for season one. Um, We're done at this point. That's it.
0: (laughs) We're we're not doing one more episode.
1: No, I got it. I got it. This was it. This is how you know that you're supposed to stop. You go out on a high note. All right. George Costanza taught us that.
0: Well, I I haven't quite dropped my microphone, but we can end there if you like.
1: All right, Matt. Well, I think that that brings us to the close of uh, hopefully what will come out in post as another successful episode. It's been fun talking to you. And listen, this is like just before Christmas. So I will say Merry Christmas, Matt. And to you. Love you, Ru. Love you too, Matt. Bye.